we took a survey of the congregation this morning asking, would you rather hear a story or a lecture? I'm guessing that most, if not all of us, would prefer a story. We would rather hear, once upon a time, than a dry lecture or maybe even than a sermon. <laughs> Stories are integral to who we are as human beings, as children of God, and family to one another. Our very lives are stories. Scripture is filled with stories. Stories matter. An ancient rabbinic way of understanding scripture is to tell a story. It's called midrash. That's a term many of you are familiar with. It's simply a story to help us understand and interpret a story. A story about a story. Rabbi Mark Gelman wrote a small book of these stories, and its title is, Does God Have a Big Toe? I don't know. It sounds like stories for children, but these stories speak to me powerfully. Here is Rabbi Gelman's story about the Genesis 1 creation story. It's called Partners. Before there was anything, there was God, a few angels, and a huge swirling glob of rocks and water with no place to go. The angels asked God, why don't you clean up this mess? So God collected rocks from the huge swirling glob and put them together in clumps and said, some of these clumps will be planets and some will be stars and some of these rocks will be just rocks. Then God collected water from the huge swirling glob and put it together in pools and he said, some of these pools of water will be oceans and some will be clouds and some of this water will be just water. Then the angel said, well, God, it's neater now, but is it finished? And God answered, nope. On some of the rocks, God placed growing things and creeping things and things that God only knows what they are. And when God had done all this, the angels asked, is the world finished now? And God answered, nope. God made a man and a woman from some of the water and dust and said to them, I'm tired now. Please finish up the world for me. Really, it's almost done. But the man and the woman said, we can't finish the world alone. You have the plans and we are too little. You're big enough, God answered them. But I agree to this. If you keep trying to finish the world, I will be your partner. The man and the woman asked, what's a partner? And God answered, a partner is someone you work with on a big thing that neither of you can do alone. If you have a partner, it means you can never give up because your partner is depending on you. On the days you think I am not doing enough and on the days I think you are not doing enough, even on those days, we are still partners and we must not stop trying to finish the world. That's the deal. And they all agreed to the deal. Then the angels asked God, is the world finished yet? And God answered, I don't know. Go ask my partners. <laughs> Rabbi Gelman gives us a glimpse, one way, of what it means to be part of God's creation, what it means to look around us and realize how much work remains to be done to see the fullness of the kingdom of God.
When Mac told me he was going to Cuba and asked me to stand here this morning, I was assigned a topic. That isn't how things usually work. Many times preachers follow the lectionary and use the designated text, or sometimes there's a topic that just tugs at your heart and soul and you know that is what to preach. But when Mac told me that this series included forgiveness as the sermon, sermon topic for today, I readily agreed. He did say I could choose if I wanted another topic, but I like a challenge. We are, every one of the eight billion of us on the planet, either in need of forgiveness or we need to forgive, or more likely both. Except for newborn babies, we have all sinned or been sinned against. And if you hold with original sin, then newborn babies are sinners too. Forgiveness is complex and not easy. It confounds me at times. If you want a book on forgiveness, just look at Amazon and choose from over 40,000 titles. Or you can Google forgiveness and find hundreds of thousands of entries. You can learn about the four R's of forgiveness or the four stages of forgiveness, the seven steps of forgiveness, and the three types of forgiveness, the eight keys to forgiveness, on and on and on. Philosophers, psychologists, pastors, poets, preachers have all written about forgiveness. Maybe that's the five P's, the writers on forgiveness. It's clear that forgiveness is really important in the enterprise of being human. Fear not, we're not gonna look at any of that. I'm sure there's much wisdom there, but let's take a look instead at what Jesus had to say. What are we to do with Jesus' words on forgiveness? He had a lot to say and he said it many times and it isn't always easy to hear. You know the verses, the first that comes to mind is likely what Terry read in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or some traditions say, forgive us our debts. I almost wish that we would say, forgive us our sins. For what comes to mind with the word trespass is that no trespass sign at the edge of the woods where I live. It means I don't want you to shoot the deer. Or maybe the word debt conjures a vision of a mortgage or a MasterCard bill. At any rate, Jesus said, we are to forgive as we are forgiven. In Mark, Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. In Luke, Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In Matthew, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And there are the stories that Jesus told, the prodigal son, came home after squandering his inheritance. He had practiced his apology. He came home with his tail between his legs, ready to beg forgiveness. And his father turned and ordered a feast. There are other stories about 
forgiveness that Jesus told. We don't have time to explore them all. So what are we to do with these words about forgiveness? And what does forgiveness have to do with being God's partners? I kind of think we're junior partners. Forgiveness is hard. It goes against everything in me to forgive someone. If I see folks get away with all kinds of illegal, corrupt, immoral practices, I long to see justice, to see people held accountable. I want them to pay. Duke Divinity School Professor Emeritus Richard Lisher says that forgiveness is the hardest thing about being a Christian. He says when he was a kid, he would have said the hardest part of being a Christian is sitting in church and listening to sermons. But as an adult, he understood that forgiveness is hard, really hard. Our instincts so often are for revenge, to see the guilty punished. Letting go of that is really hard. I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to fully understand what Jesus was teaching us, but this I know. God's love for us is never conditional. It is always absolute and infinite. God's love for us doesn't depend on anything we do or think or say. We are, each of us, a beloved child of God. And I have learned over many years that insisting on a flat, literal reading of Scripture can blind us to deeper and richer truths that are there. These teachings of Jesus include the words, as you are forgiven. We have repeated assurances that we are forgiven. God forgives us. Many years ago, I worked at St. Joseph's Hospital here in Asheville. It was a hospital owned by the Sisters of Mercy. Many of you remember St. Joseph's. One of my colleagues in pastoral care was Sister Carmen. Some of you may even remember her. She was a character. She was lively and delightful. And she taught me when I was considering something questionable, ah, go ahead. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to get permission. Jesus' repeated assurances that we are forgiven aren't always easy to hear because sometimes we don't believe we deserve to be forgiven. We believe that God's forgiveness is for other people. And, and when this is how we feel, we have a really hard time forgiving ourselves. But we are forgiven, and God's love for us is infinite and absolute. God's love for that guy down the street who cheats on his taxes and abuses his kids is infinite and absolute. God's love for the woman who has stolen and lied and cheated her way through life, God's love for her is infinite. Loving doesn't mean condoning every behavior. Partnering with God to contribute to the coming of the kingdom may at times go against every instinct we feel. Professor Lisher points out that nowhere does Jesus say we are to follow our own moral instincts or just do what comes naturally. We might think of our role as partners with God as about striving to promote the kingdom of God. We are here to live lives of loving kindness, lives of compassion, 
and lives of justice. Following Jesus means we seek to be God's love for each other, for our communities, and for the world. Becoming forgiving people who are able to love fully and deeply can leave us feeling vulnerable. But if we carry with us the burden of failure to forgive, we can't fully become who God has created us to be and who God longs for us to be. We are created to love. James Baldwin, who certainly understood something about forgiveness, wrote, Love takes off all the masks we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I use the word love here, he says, not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being or a state of grace, not in the infantile American sense of being made happy, but in the tough universal sense of quest and daring and growth. My unwillingness to forgive is a heavy load to carry. It fills me with anger and resentment. It makes it hard for me to be loving and kind. Rage and a desire for revenge can consume me. We all know somebody who can carry a grudge to the top of Mount Pisgah and back. That's a heavy load. Forgiveness does not mean we forego the pursuit of justice. Forgiveness does not mean that we lie down and become doormats. Forgiveness does not mean we stay in an unhealthy place and allow ourselves to be hurt again and again. Forgiveness does not mean that we forget. I'm not sure we could or should forget some of the things we've experienced. Our task as partners with God is to increase love in the world, and we cannot do that without finding ways to forgive. Maybe one dimension of forgiveness is really for our own well-being to clean out our spiritual selves to make room for love to take root and grow. We seek justice and accountability while forgiving, and thus we and the communities we are part of move toward the coming of the kingdom. We understand there are times and situations which are so grievous and harmful that forgiveness can take time, a long time. We may be so deeply wounded that we need time and space for healing before we can forgive. Or we can see that the harm others have experienced and understand their ability to, inability to forgive right away. I would never tell the parent of a child murdered in her classroom that she must forgive the shooter. C.S. Lewis wrote in his diary, Last week while at prayer, I discovered that I had really forgiven someone I had been trying to forgive for over 30 years. Well, if it took C.S. Lewis that long, maybe I need to be more gentle with myself if I cannot forgive every wrong immediately. You remember the words of Jesus on the cross. He turned to God and said, Father, forgive them. In that moment of agony, Jesus turned to God and asked 
God to forgive them. Maybe there are times when our best effort is to say, God forgive them, right now I cannot. When I have been hurt or wronged, I know that I am to forgive, but I know as well that if I cannot just this moment, God understands. I know too that praying for help in forgiving makes a difference. And I may need to pray not only for my help for my help in forgiving, but for the person who has hurt me. I need to remember that forgiving him is for me as well as for him. There may be times when the person who harmed me is not interested in apologizing or doesn't even know or care that he's caused so much hurt. Or he may be in the grave. Forgiving may enable my spiritual journey. And it's a journey for the long haul as we move together in community, in partnership with God toward the kingdom of God. Forgiving is not easy. However, it is the way to love. It is the way to grow within ourselves the ability to follow Jesus' command to love one another. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. The one who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Desmond Tutu says, to forgive is the only way to permanently change the world. Reverend Timothy Keller, founder of the Redeemer Presbyterian Churches in New York, recently wrote an opinion piece about forgiveness in the New York Times. Without forgiveness, he wrote, no human relationships or communities can be sustained. Without forgiveness, centuries-long cycles of retaliation and violence and genocide repeat themselves. Jesus tells us to forgive, not because it's a test of how good we are, but so we can become more loving. Jesus got it. He knew how hard, how much is required of us at times. Jesus is not setting up a roadblock to cause us to stumble. Jesus is offering a way for us to learn and practice love. Jesus teaches us to forgive so that the kingdom may come. If we really are partners with God, as Rabbi Gelman suggests, in the work of finishing the world, we must learn to pay attention to forgiveness. If we really are partners with God, we must look within our own hearts to find the places we carry resentment and hurt. If we really are partners with God, we must seek to shine a light so that love may grow within us, and that love will overflow to those around us in our community, in our city, and in the world. Thanks be to God. <laughs>